position of worship leader for three years. So three years ago, I resigned. Um, the Lord had asked me to sacrifice my position here as an offering unto him and that he was going to open up doors for me that I couldn't see. And so I took that leap of faith as I was laying prostrate on my floor in my office saying, yes, Lord. But um, it's been a blessing ever since, and it was a bless be blessing being here. Um, but I am, I'm truly um, confident that I'm right where God has me. So I um, have some CDs I would like to give away. Um, I just, I think our, our daughters just brought, did you guys just bring these? Yeah, thank you. Um, oh, by the way, our daughters, let's have our daughters stand up. These are our daughters, Gretchen and Emily. <clears throat> Thank you, girls. You're wonderful blessings, and I'm sure um, most of you probably know my husband, but if you don't, hubby, this is my hubby, Wayne. He's the dean of students here at CBC and has been for ten, almost 10 years, nine years been at the ministry for 10, but in staff is nine. Yes. Um, so anyway, um, our daughters just brought our, our new run of CDs that just got delivered. So we don't have the um, jackets yet with all of the graphics, but whoever can get up here fastest. Well, I, no, wait, I'll have to be nice to the people in the back. So there was somebody back there who had your hand up. I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. Um, right there. Yes. Yes, you. <laughs> one, <laughs> two. Now these are two different ones. One of them is spontaneous, and one of them is um, fourteen songs that uh, God gave me with a couple of public domain hymns. So who is who would be more for the? Okay, spontaneous. And what about you? Because you came from the back. I'll get you one later. <laughs> Wayne, can you give, get one out of my purse for this lady right here? Sure. Okay. Okay, so anyway, those are um, two CDs that um, are really just packed with intimate worship. And like I said, one of them is spontaneous. I just sat and um, my producer helped me just get myself set up so no one was there but me, and I just hit the shift bar and went. And um, so that's just raw, spontaneous, about 70 minutes. And the other one, like I said, is 14 songs of intimate worship. Intimate worship is what I'm passionate to teach on. Um, it's what I'm confident that I have um, an anointing and a gift from God to not just instruct people in, but to help train people as worship leaders through music to know how to pull a team together, but not just to pull a team together musically, but to pull a team together relationally and to understand how to, as a team, flow in the spirit and um, be able to engage others into that lifestyle. And so what I'm, the perspective I'm going to be speaking on today, Daniel asked me to speak on dynamics of intimate worship. But the perspective I'm going to be um, coming at from that is from a lifestyle, not necessarily from a musical perspective, even though most of us in here might be. Well, let me just ask you, are most of you in here um, 
because you are you are involved in something pertaining to worship with music. Could you raise your hands if you are? Okay, so a lot of you, maybe about half of you. Um, obviously, that's what a great deal of this conference is about. But what God has laid upon my heart for today is to talk about it as a lifestyle, not just from a musical standpoint. Because when I... Um, I started teaching here at CBC. It was my second year of establishing a praise and worship ministry. And um, the director at that time asked me to teach a class on praise and worship. And um, I kind of freaked out slightly because I hadn't, for one, I had, I think I had taught one time prior to that in my life. And two, I, I just didn't really know what to teach on. I was just like, here I am, the worship leader, and I have no idea what to teach on, but the whole worship leading experience was brand new to me back then. And so I remember going to the Christian bookstore and rifling through books, trying to find um, what I could teach. And the Lord said, Jan, I want you to go to the book of Esther. I said, Esther? And so anyway, he took me on a journey through the book of Esther. And what the book of Esther taught me was that whether you have a ministry with using music as a tool to help people fellowship with the Lord and receive in his manifest presence, or whether you don't have that, it all an understanding of intimate worship has to start with our relationship with Jesus Christ and our communion with the Holy Spirit. And so through the book of Esther, he took me and and showed me parallel after parallel of um, the picture that God gave us through that story of Esther coming into that new kingdom and going through that process and the anointing and, and ultimately to meet with the king and obtain grace and favor from the king. And then she began to rule and reign with him as queen. So, um... That's my passion, to teach on worship from the perspective of a, life, of a lifestyle and intimate fellowship. We are not going to be going through the book of Esther today, but if you do have a desire to receive that teaching, I, that was a class I did here, and um, it still is available on the table in the break room at my product table. So it's called The King's Desire, and it's um, eight CDs and then a ninth CD that has the outline, the study guide. Um, right along with that so you could print your outlines. But for today, we're we're going to be going into um, two different stories in the Bible real briefly, and then I'm just going to kind of tell you my story and give you a a picture of walking it out real life. Because we can read the stories in the Bible and think, yep, I know about Abraham, and I know about the woman with the alabaster box, I know about David, because um, we've read these stories, but I know for myself, I really receive well if I can hear someone tell me their own story. And so that's what we're going to do today. So Father, I just commit this time to you, and I just thank you for your word, that it's spirit and it's life. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that, that you are breathing in us, upon us, around us. You indwell us and. And our hearts are where you abide. And we thank you, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together as a body of believers to open up your word and to grow in our understanding and increase 
in the knowledge of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, if you want to turn over to Genesis chapter 22. As I mentioned, we're just going to briefly visit the story of Abraham when he was going to offer his son Isaac. Um, But before we read a few verses out of this story, I want to ask you a, a, or not necessarily a question, but I want to uh, exhort you to think of the stories that we um, read about today and your own story with an eternal perspective, an eternal mindset. Because really, that's the mindset that we have to have. Amen? Why is that? Because earth is not our home forever. Right? We've been sent here for such a time as this. And while we're here, we have been given a gift from God to influence and to represent Him. And so as we go into these stories, I want to just... I'll probably keep throwing that out to you. Have, I want to exhort you again to just think eternally and think about it in your own life as well. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look. The fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. We're going to stop there and just revisit a few verses. So why I chose this story, first of all, is because it's the first mention of the word worship in this story. And I don't know about you, but I've pictured this this so many times when I read this story. I've actually asked my class in years past to... Just take a moment and picture this story. Here's Abraham, his only son, 
And he's on his way to go sacrifice him. That's how much esteem he had of God and how much trust he had in God. And that reverence or that fear it, it refers to in the scriptures that he had of God. And yet on the way, what did he say? He said, hold on a second, the lad and I are going to go yonder and worship. Doesn't it seem almost kind of like, what? You know, you're, you're walking up here and, wait a second, guys, we're going to go yonder and worship. Now in our, our cultures, minds, most people, when you hear the word worship, you think of singing a song or raising your hands. And worship often travels best through music. But in this context, in this passage, the word worship here is defined at as bowing down, falling down flat, humbly beseeching, laying prostrate. So basically, face down, crying out to the Lord, or bowing down flat. Now, we as New Testament believers can read ahead in the book of Hebrews, and you probably have done that, where it says Abraham was fully persuaded that God would raise him up and he would offer a sacrifice. However, I think one of the things we've missed in this story over the years is that there's a huge key here at verse 5 when it says, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So he said that we will come back. So he was persuaded, but yet... If he was persuaded, why did he still take the time to go and worship? Did you ever think about that? Let's turn, turn over to Romans chapter 4 and we'll look at this. Romans chapter 4, um, and let's start at... Uh, verse 20. Here it's just, in, in this passage, in Romans, is talking about Abraham in general, his life. Um, but at, if you study the life of Abraham, you'll see that he lived a lifestyle of obedience to God, building altars of worship, and um, continuing in that throughout his life. But here in Romans 4, it says in verse 20, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So I understand this is not exactly pertaining to this story per se, but this life of Abraham was a life of strengthening himself in faith, giving glory to God. And that word glory there is worship. It's defined out as worship. So Abraham took the time to say, wait, hold on a second, the lad and I are going to go yonder and worship, even though he was fully persuaded, he knew it was going to strengthen his faith to stop and take the time to fall down flat before the Lord, to bow before him, to humbly beseech him. And so what does that speak to us today as New Testament believers? Well, in the New Testament, the definition of worship is the same except it adds two things, which we'll get into in a minute. But my point for saying it's the same is that the bowing down and the laying prostrate before the Lord and humbling ourselves to him still remains to be a part of 
the New Testament definition. So what it says to us is that even as New Testament believers filled with the Holy Spirit, we are confident, we are persuaded that God is faithful and that he will provide the things that we are waiting to see through circumstances in our life. But we still need to esteem the fact that through relationship, he's given us the privilege to commune with him, to say, wait, stop a second. I just have to bow down before the Lord. You know, I honestly don't feel like, like I think Daniel was talking about how, I think it was last night, very few churches now will you even hear people singing in the Spirit, charismatic churches. It's also very few churches that you see people bowing down before the Lord. You know, I think in humbling our, in bowing before the Lord, there's a, a humility that rises up from within us that is a part of our relationship with God. He doesn't want us to forget that He's God, our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. When I was uh, recording this last CD, Treasures, and I sang, um, I put our, the, our Father, the Lord's Prayer, on this CD, and I sang it a cappella. As I was singing uh, this song, a cappella, I heard angels singing with me. And as soon as I was done, I said to my producer, I'm sorry, but I, I have to fall on my face. It was just, boom, the Spirit of God just... It was like my knees couldn't hold me up, just knocked me right down, and I just laid there prostrate before the Lord. But that today is still an active part, should be an active part of our worship as a lifestyle unto God. Amen? So it strengthens us in our faith as we give glory to find out his worship unto God. All right, so let's just take a look at one other thing in this story, and then we're going to move on to a New Testament example. But um, in this story of Abraham, if we looked at an eternal perspective of this story, what would we see? Again, it's easy for us now as New Testament believers to have these penned stories and to be able to know all of these things and have read them for years. But let's go back to... You know, pretend you're Abraham. If Abraham would have had an eternal perspective at that time of that one act of worship, I wonder what he would have saw. And you know what? He probably did have that eternal perspective. Because we knew he was fully persuaded. But look at, look at that one act of worship. And it's a picture for us, isn't it, of the sacrifice of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who was slain for you and for I. What perspectives, what eternal perspectives are there to us when he says to you in the morning, it's 5 a.m., and he's just like wooing you, and you feel the Holy Spirit wooing you to get out of bed and bow before the Lord our God and just sing a song to him from your heart. What eternal perspective is there to something like that? 
It could be laying a foundation for generations to come in your family to be known as worshipers of God. Descendants who will esteem the living God all their days. Wow. It looks a lot different when you look at it like that, doesn't it? Than just, oh, I'm tired. i am I got to go get a cup of coffee. Wow. This one? This one. Coffee? Bowing down. Have an eternal, we need to have an eternal mindset, an eternal perspective. <clears throat> okay, let's move on into the New Testament and look at another example. Um, we're going to talk about um, the woman with the alabaster box. So you can turn to Luke uh, chapter 7, but then we are also um, going to be stopping at John 4 first. Uh, Daniel has mentioned this verse a couple of times um, over the past few days already, but um, I feel before we go into the story of the woman, I would like to preface it with a picture that the Lord gives us of what he's seeking. So John chapter 4, 23 says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. So the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, that word worshipers there means adorers to kiss. I told you a few minutes ago I was going to add on to the New Testament definition of worship and let you know what that is. And so it's also the Old Testament definition along with to adore and to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. Anybody here have a dog who plows you over when you come in the door? And they're so happy to see you. I just think it's so, it's so great that, it's, that, that he uses that definition. Because anybody who has had a dog love on them knows what that feels like. They're just so happy to see you. They just can't get enough of you. That's what worship, New Testament worship for us, is to look like. God, you're so awesome. I just can't get enough of you. You know, when we sing, uh, years ago there were songs written by Vineyard that was, um, let me know the kisses of your mouth. I can remember when that song first came out and I thought, what? I can't even identify with this. The kisses of your mouth? How, how do we identify with the kisses of your mouth with the Lord? Then he began to take me on a journey of intimacy, which I'll go into after we visit this story. But this, like a dog licking his master's hand to adore, to kiss, it speaks of such a devoted intimacy It's beautiful. And that's his desire for you and for I. 
<clears throat> Let's go back to John 4.23. Now, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers, or we'll say it like this, the true adorers to kiss shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. First of all, that word true in front of worshipers is truthful as not concealing close association. Wow. I think about my relationship with my husband. It's truthful. It's in close association as not concealing. See, as you know, marriage is likened to our relationship with Christ, and so he wants us to have that type of worship offered unto him as a lifestyle. A lifestyle of truthfulness is not concealing but just, here I am, Lord. Everything I am, everything I've got, everything I'm not. I think that was an old song back years ago. <laughs> True worshipers as not concealing. Close association. True worshipers worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh. That word seeketh is desires. Desires such to worship him. That's his desires for you and for I. To be that in love with him, that completely abandoned to him, that we run up to him like a dog, licking him and just saying, Father, I can't get enough of you. You're so good to me. My heart beats with passion for you because your faithfulness for me remains forever. You're faithful even when I'm not. You loved me first and shed abroad your love in my heart. So that I could take that love and represent you to others. So if we see this is a picture of his desires for us to be these true adorers to be so intimate as a kiss, what would be the opposite of this? Matthew fifteen nine says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Wow. So there is a possibility to worship him in vain. That word vain means through the idea of tentative Manipulation. An example is an unsuccessful search or else of punishment or folly to no purpose. Wow, what does that look like? Tentative manipulation? Anybody have an idea what that could look like? Anybody? Shout it out. I love you, Lord. Give me, give me. Somebody, what? What was it over here? Self, oh, sorry, self-centeredness. Churches with a lot of form and no relationship. Yep, all of those. I'm sorry, what? Follow these rules because you owe me? Oh, okay. 
Mm-hmm. It's a what? A farce. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to go there, do we? No, we don't want to go there. So I just want to encourage you. Keep going. Keep going. If you haven't tasted of this intimacy that we're talking about up to this point, in you know, relationship with God is just like a relation if we have a relationship with a friend or a spouse, when we enter into that relationship, we just it's like we just stepped in and we just know them to a degree. But then as we sow into that relationship, we grow in the depths of that relationship, don't we? But sometimes we see where there have been bad marriages and somebody gave up or both people gave up and there was confusion and it just halted. We have that same choice in our relationship with the Lord. Sometimes things are confusing and sometimes people choose to just halt. But he says, no, keep going. Keep increasing in wisdom and stature and favor. Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and with man. And that word increased means to drive ahead as if by beating. So what that speaks to me is that it's not always going to be easy. But he says, still keep, go- keep driving ahead. Keep driving ahead. And you know, it takes some time in the process to kneel down before me. Sometimes even to lay down flat before me on your face. Keep increasing. Keep increasing. Okay, now we'll turn over to Luke chapter 7 and give this New Testament example. And we're going to start at verse 36. And while we're um, going through this story again, I want to challenge you to look at the eternal perspective and then also look at the example in this story of true, a true worshiper like we just defined out in John chapter 4 and then a worshiper in vain. Luke seven. 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and anointed them with the fragrant oil. There's, I'm going to stop a second. There's that word kiss again. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of worship that we can see in the word. Let's continue on. Verse 39. Yeah. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. 
There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he returned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think the thing I love most about this story is that I can identify with this story um, the most out of any story in the Word. I was a woman like that once. And I remember the day that I cried out to the Lord, and I just knew I couldn't continue living the way I was. Just like this woman. And she was passionate to to know she had to go to this house, and yet she, she was putting her life on the line, knowing that people like this Simon could have gone to the next step and had her stoned and killed. But she trusted. There was a dynamic there with this act of really true worship that was trust. She trusted that Jesus could give her what she needed. And she was willing to give it all. And the other thing I love about this story is that he keeps going, Jesus keeps going back and forth, speaking to Simon and speaking to the woman, but he's looking at the woman. And what that speaks to me is he just continues to affirm his love to her. He affirms how pleased he is with her and how accepted she is right there and then as that sinful woman, as the word describes her, and as she was known by. Yet Jesus never said, you know, I can't accept this act of worship. You know, clean yourself up. No, in fact, Simon was a perfect example of a worshiper in vain. You know, he opened up his home to Jesus and, you know, I'm going to have Jesus in my home and why don't you have, we have some other people over and we'll hang out here with Jesus and, you know, we're rubbing shoulders with Jesus. But Jesus rebuked him because he said, you didn't even give me water, you didn't kiss, you didn't kiss me, she hasn't stopped kissing me. The other picture here in this story that I want you to see is the eternal picture, the eternal perspective. We know here that when she anointed Jesus, it was ultimately for his what? For his burial. Do you think she knew that? 
but there was an eternal perspective to her act of worship, to give it all. There was another eternal perspective to her act of worship. One of the other Gospels, it says, where this story is told, let what this woman has done be told. Wherever the Gospel is preached, let what this woman has done be told as a memorial to her. What are we doing today? Still talking about this woman where the Gospel is being preached. Why? Because John 4.23 tells us what kind of worshipers he's looking for. Ones who will adore, who will kiss, who will intimately abandon themselves to him and just say, here it all is, Lord. The garbage and all. That was my life. And um, as a going off of what Daniel asked me to share on now with the dynamics of intimate worship, I want to take you through my story because I believe that God has given me a revelation that as I've penned these things out, that I've walked out in my life and continued to walk out, that if you are not applying these things in your relationship with the Lord, that there's something that's going to jump off of this to you, that you can grab a hold of, that will be another tool for you. Is it a duty, works thing? No, it's not. But you know what? We learn from one another, don't we? Just like Daniel was talking about. We, through relationship, we learn. So in living this lifestyle of an intimate worshiper, um, it's going to look different in all of our lives because we have different gifts, different characters. But the word dynamics is defined out as a pattern or history of growth, change, and development. A pattern or history of growth, change, and development And then if we add on the intimate worship to that, it would read like this. The history of growth, change, and development of a very private and close, personal lifestyle of worship. So what does that look like for you? I encourage you to begin to write what the Holy Spirit shows you and is wooing you into, and then to continue and increase in that. But for me, this pattern and this history of growth and change and development has looked like a transformation from glory to glory. And I believe that you could all say the same thing in your life, right? And that glory, as we're being changed and transformed from glory to glory, that word glory is worship. So it's from worship Worship, it's a lifestyle. It's looked like purposeful pursuance. Purposeful pursuance to pursue to know the Father, to pursue to know the Son, and to pursue to know the Holy Spirit. 
See, I'm like Daniel. I was raised in a church where the only time I heard about the Holy Spirit was singing the doxology. So I knew that the Holy Spirit existed, but that's all I knew. When I got born again, I poured into pursuing to know Jesus because I knew it was by the blood of Jesus that my life was transformed. And he freed me and set me on a rock, set my feet on a rock. So I pursued to know Jesus. And then a little while after that, I, through Charles and Francis Hunters, he was saying, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so then I, I began to pursue to know the Holy Spirit. And now I can honestly say in the last couple of years of my life, I've been pursuing to know the Father. And I believe it's because, that's a, like Daniel said, there's, there's a dynamic going on spiritually where God is wanting his people to know him as our Father. Because many of us haven't experienced an example of a father that was godly. I have a, a good dad, but there were some things that I missed out on. And so God wants us to be purposeful in our pursuance because he knows everything about us. Everything. But he wants us to be pursuers to know him. <clears throat> Next thing, in walking out this intimate uh, lifestyle of worship is esteeming the relationship I have with the Lord by ministering unto Him. There's that adoration of that New Testament def- definition. See, if I esteem the price that Jesus paid for me and the Father that God is to me and His faithfulness and the, the help that the Holy Spirit is, the friend the Holy Spirit is, the lover the Holy Spirit is, if I esteem that, then I'm going to want to minister back unto him. And what that looks like for me is going to look different than what it looks like for you. But he's given each of us an anointing from the Holy One. For me, it's going over to the piano at home and just sitting down and singing a song unto the Lord. You're so beautiful. I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for all you've done. It's a little snippet of ministering unto the Lord for me. Esteem our relationship and minister unto the Lord. Adore him. Humble ourselves. Talked about that before with that picture of still applying the aspect of worship that is kneeling and bowing. It's not been thrown out the door. It still is a part of the picture of relationship. Embracing the roles that he has given us. Esteeming the family that he has given us. God is a generational God. He esteems families. That's an act of worship that we can offer unto him by esteeming the families that he has blessed us with. Inviting him to do what he wants to do. There was a time I was laying on a, a couch in the house we, a house we lived at in a small town in Wisconsin, and I held up my hands and I said, Lord, come and hold my hands. I didn't think ahead of time. I'm going to ask God to come hold my hands. But you know what? I began to experience depths of intimacy with the Lord when he 
came and held my hands. And that began a journey and a life, a whole new life for me, of experiencing the Lord in very, very tangible ways. That was just the beginning. What am I saying? We have to follow after a sign, after a manifestation? No. But the experiences that we have with the Lord that are intimate, they strengthen us. They help us to continue in this relationship of worship as a lifestyle. Um, Another perspective or dynamic of this intimate worship lifestyle is responding, responding to the Holy Spirit. You know, there have been times in my life when I've had experiences where I would just be in our room, close the door by myself, just kind of sitting before the Lord, silent. And the Holy Spirit would meet me and begin to move my arms and sometimes my legs, and I didn't know what was going on. And I thought if anybody saw me, they'd think I was a fruitcake. But I knew the Holy Spirit was doing something. I just didn't know what yet. And over a period of time, he began to tell me, Jan, I'm untying the ropes off of you. See, the lifestyle I lived was filled with so much garbage that when I got born again, my spirit man was born again. But I had a lot of junk that needed to be sifted through. And so in that place of intimate fellowship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit met me through invitation. And through my cooperation, the ropes were removed. So live a lifestyle of cooperation. Live a lifestyle of communion. And you know what? When you live a lifestyle of communion with the Holy Spirit, what happens? You conceive. What does that mean, living a lifestyle of communion with the Holy Spirit? It means sowing to the Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, I want to know you. I want to know you. Teach me how to know you. You are my teacher. And when you go through that process of sowing to the Spirit, you conceive, don't you? Just like you conceive from the Word. And so when you conceive from this lifestyle of worship, lifestyle of communion, not only do you conceive, but you give birth. If I can have this mic off, I'm going to just end here today with... the close of this song this morning and just kind of sealing this this charge, this this exhortation. So, so to the Spirit, so to your relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit. And expect, that's the last thing on my list here, was expect blessings from God. God is so good.
thank you for every person here and that the anointing that you have placed in their lives the unction from the Holy One, that anointing that smearing like a hot oil through fellowship with your Holy Spirit will be like a fragrance that will just come off of them and be known and experienced by many who will respond and be brought into relationship with you through relationship with us first because we consider it a privilege, Lord, to represent you to a world who needs to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. I have, uh, as you're walking out the door, I just thought of one quick story that'd be fun to tell that goes right along with that. This couple of months ago, we were in Florida, and I was walking on the beach, and I was singing to the Lord this very song. And then I went into, Holy, 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 all thy works shall praise thy name. And the birds began to fly and land next to me as I was singing. And they were at full attention, and all of a sudden, a woman came from nowhere, and she's just standing right next to me crying. And she said, you're a beauty among the beauties. And I said, oh, well, thank you. And she said, no, you, do, you don't know what I mean. And I said, no, I do know what you mean. I said, I said, are you a believer? And she said, yes. And I said, it's the fragrance of Christ Jesus that makes us beautiful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a blessed rest of your day.